has chosen you. Take it. You are now one of the protectors of the universe. Shama people, and welcome to our 227th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime and wonderful friend and video game fan as well, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Oh, you know me. I can't complain. It's been like nine degrees out. We're finally hitting spring thaw. I think we had a high of 17 today. It was amazing. Broke out the shorts and got worked on my tan. <laughs> Fabulous stuff. Exactly. Well, you're definitely looking bronzed and fit. Folks can't see it, but uh, believe you me, it's Keith is a sight to see today, folks. And today we are discussing Green Lantern First Flight from 2009. This was directed by Laurent Montgomery, was written by Alan Burnett and Michael Allen, while the score was by Robert Kroll. So we're getting to general impressions here. Keith, what did you make of this Green Lantern movie? I'm kind of torn about this one. It's a fun watch, but there's certain elements that kind of frustrated me through the whole movie. It wasn't just like, you know, oh, this one scene. It was the obvious bad guy was blatantly obvious bad guy uh for those of you who haven't seen it uh spoilers sinestro is the bad guy Ooh. Uh, but it's just it was very it felt very rushed how jordan gets the ring within the first few minutes and then he's off planet the entire movie which i'm fine with because most of his misadventures don't take place on earth but it goes from guy flying a plane guy gets ring guy goes on an adventure in outer space there's no learning curve or development it's just like he knows his shit and we're done and we're off and you're like oh, okay we'll just go with that and it, i i get it they kind of yada 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 some of the the plot choices but the first time you see sinestro on screen and he says something you're like oh he's a bad guy there's not a well i don't know who did this he, he says something to hal and the way he acts he interrogates a witness and he's ridiculously abusive and he's fighting with Hal. And at every point Hal's confronting him, he just has the most bad guy response ever to everything. And you're like, he's the bad guy. Like, okay. And then when he finally turns heel at, I don't know, like the hour something mark, and you're like, oh, look, he's the bad guy. Oh my God, I am so shocked. You're like, no, I'm not. Because again, he just, it wasn't that a course of action happened where he just snapped this was you could tell he'd been plotting this for you know a very long period of time and when it finally comes to fruition you're like oh all right it took you this long to do that you're a patient crazy man but you're still a crazy man and you know like every other animated short we watch or every movie it gets very slow place slow place slow place all of a sudden you're like crap we have 10 minutes left Hurry up and get shit done. And it's the same scenario. Once he turns heel and becomes the bad guy, the wheels fall off and just devastation you know, happens. And then the movie's over. You're like, oh, uh, okay. This whole thing got resolved in like 15 minutes. Oh, oh, you know, meanwhile, he's been a Green Lantern for subjectively a week, maybe. I don't know because... You can't tell time passing in this animated short. So this could have been his first day. Could have been a month. I have no idea. I'll give him at least four days. Either way, he had a long weekend and he, you know, defeated one of his strongest enemies without trying really hard. So, you know, with that being said, I get it. It's a short. You're you're not going to get a two and a half, three hour long movie. This was... How long was this? Like 90 minutes or something like that? 117 minutes. So almost two hours. I will say it's a brisk two hours. It did not feel like a two-hour movie where some of our other movies that we've watched, it, it's felt like a nine-hour movie and it's only been 90 minutes. So I, I did enjoy it. I did like the voice cast. The writing, considering this is an animated short or animated film, rather, um, was really good. It was, again, a little weak in the subject matter, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a fun watch. And if you are a Green Lantern fan, 
I would recommend it to anybody. If you are a Green Lantern fan, then you already know the story. So it's kind of a hard, you know, you know it's going to happen before it happens because you've already seen this 872 other times. It's like watching a Batman origin film. You know Batman's going to become Batman or Spider-Man as such. So they're not really reinventing the wheel. This is all uh, material and subject matters that you've seen before. The Ryan Reynolds one, live action movie, very similar to this. So, and I know Nick, you're kind of shaking your head, but in terms of plot points, it's very much like, oh, look, there's a Sinestro character. Oh, look, he's the bad guy. It's nothing new. They didn't invent some rando new character to be the bad guy this time around. Oh, no, I, I totally agree with you when it comes to the beats. Yes, because when it comes to that particular movie, absolutely horrible. But um, to your point, from what I gathered, uh, you know, when, when they came to, to making this movie, you know, Laurent Montgomery and her writers, they decided that um, they did not want to dwell on the origin too much because they were under the impression or were kind of thinking, probably by the time we make this movie, a lot of people will know the back, uh, how Jordan's backstory and how he became the Green Lantern. And so I guess they kind of decided to um, s- skip through, you know, what would have been maybe a longer story of how coming to terms with what it means to be a Green Lantern and come to terms with his powers and maybe dwell more on the relationship with Carol Ferris, who is barely in this movie compared to the Green Lantern film, where they focus more on the relationship, which is a very core cool relationship, of course, between Hal and Carol. Here she's barely in it. You just get the idea that they dated. They might. It's very much a will they, won't they, in the sense that will they get back together? Are they estranged? What's the situation? And here it's just very sort of a flirtatious, very baseline flirtatious relationship when it comes to Hal and Carol. Here, I think, yeah, you know, just like the title, they wanted to like make it as action packed as possible. And that's, I think they pretty much delivered when it came to that. There were some choices and departures from the comics, which I thought was a little bit surprising, like killing off half of the Green Lantern Corps and some other characters, which I was like, but that character stays for quite a while. Why'd they mm-hmm. kill them now? It kind of reminded me, if you will, when we reviewed um, Beware My Power, where pretty much everybody gets killed. And you're like, yes. So there's nobody left to fight. Half the Green Lantern Corps is over. And here was kind of like the same thing. Granted, okay, by the end of the movie, we see there's still quite a few Green Lanterns running around when we get that whole, uh, the final speech and, you know, everybody's cheering for Howe as the new Green Lantern. But when, you know, the shit hit the fan, if you will, I was like, this is world-destroying stuff. Everybody's dying left and right. We don't have a hope what's going to happen here. And like you said, we had kind of the 10-minute resolution where it seems like Oa is pretty much done. But, you know, of course, because the the, the hero has to win the day, he's able to miraculously overpower Sinestro and, and, and win. But we don't really get a resolution of, does he go back to Carol? You know, or we just see him there you know, kind of raising his ring in the air and celebrating. But I think there are other, there will be other, there are the Green Lantern movies in this series. So I guess we'll see, you know, how that follows up. But yeah, it was very speedy because I, I mean, like you said, the runtime is barely two hours. So I think they wanted to get through a lot as in as little time as possible because of possibly future movies where, okay, now you know who Hal Jordan is. Now you know who Sinestro is. The main players are on the board. We can tell more stories. So they really wanted to get, I think, the origin out of the way. Other than that, I enjoyed it. Yes, I will agree with you. Sinestro, I mean, it's, I think it's already in the name. You know, you meet a guy called Sinestro, you probably won't, won't trust your puppies or your children with somebody who's called Sinestro. I mean, it's just like I a name. Like- I disagree there. And of course, he's literally the mustache toiling villain, but more on on Sinestro later. But yeah, other than that, I I, I enjoyed it for what it was. And it was kind of a breath of fresh air because we don't really have much of a chance to talk Green Lantern on this show. And usually when we do, it's really bad stuff. So this is really a breath of fresh air for me. And I actually enjoyed it. It was like, yeah, this is more what I'm used to. Maybe you could have killed less people. But other than that, I'm uh, I, I, I enjoyed this one. So I guess then let's start by looking at our titular character. We have, of course, Christopher Milani as Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. So what did you make of Hal in this one, Keith? Uh, I, I like the, it's funny. I like the, the comic book character, the Green Lantern, and I like the voice actor as an actor, but him as the Green Lantern, there's just 
a little something missing. I don't know what it is. There, I'm not saying he needed to be more sarcastic or more what a little gung ho, but there was a little, you know, oomph missing in his step. Was he a bad Green Lantern voice actor? Heck no. Would I watch him? You know, watch another Green Lantern with him in it? Hundred percent. I, I will say this: the cast of this movie is stacked, and I did not realize until you know going in and reviewing the cast of characters who plays what characters and it's just it's impressive that they've got some of these big hitters playing these you know random characters like you know christopher playing hal jordan and then you got um john larroquette in here and it's just it's it's all over the map and you're like wow i grew up with some of these characters and to hear them doing green lantern it's like uh, okay good deal uh, in terms of his writing Again, like you said, they they wanted to skip the the naive Green Lantern learning about everything, what's going on, and just kind of like throw him in the deep end and watch him swim. Did a really good job. I, even though he develops very quickly during the course of the movie, I, I will say that by the end of the movie, when he becomes the whatever of greenness, whatever they're going to call him, that he earned it it wasn't just one of those things where he walked into the room and boom he got he found magic MacGuffin device yes he walked into the battery and punched it and cracked it open sure whatever but that seems like a logical thing in terms of when you find something you get frustrated and you you, you know you tend to you know hit something and he does and he discovers that there's still a core in there and he absorbs all the energy and he becomes the jolly green giant just starts whooping Sinestro's ass so was it convenient? A hundred percent. Do they do it in every single movie? One hundred percent. Did it actually make sense to the story? Yes, it totally did because he has been, for lack of a better term, a herald of the Green Lantern, literal lantern, on more than one occasion. So it, it wasn't a huge stretch outside of the wheelhouse in terms of how they represented him absorbing all that energy was even kind of cool because he turned into this almost like a solid construct and he saw you know fought sinestro i i'm kind of surprised he didn't catch on a little bit sooner when he realized sinestro was the bad guy it was kind of like everybody should have known at this point because it was hal a dead body and a couple other people and they're like oh yeah hal must have done it because he was found unconscious like that 100 percent. that was totally him like his dying breath was shoot a hole through a dude you're telling me these nigh omnipotent beings didn't build a recording device into their green lantern rings just for this reason or um they couldn't figure out that which way the shot was going which way it blew a hole which i will say when the the pseudo main bad guy gets shot in the chest and you see this little laser beam hole right through him and it's a little blood you're like oh okay it's not terrible then you see him on the gurney and he's got the giant hole the size of your head blown through him. And I was like, yeah, not what I was expecting at all. 100%. Uh, I found it kind of interesting that they were able to resurrect people with the green lantern ring. I know it's a ridiculously overpowered weapon, which I I'm kind of disappointed. They didn't flex that a little bit more considering all the functions and powers and abilities a green lantern ring has. And yes, like you said, the the writers and everybody wanted to kind of keep it minimal and kind of focus on other aspects. But at the same time, they literally used a ring to resurrect a dude. And you're like, nah, we're not going to explain any of that. That's just a thing. And you're like, uh, uh, okay. I, I, and you make a great point there because, but I think also these days, there have been complaints when it comes to the power rings in general. They, they can kind of do everything and anything. And it has kind of gotten out of hand. I mean, yes. I will admit I have not read Green Lantern in the longest time. I think I kind of jumped off um, halfway through the New 52 run. And, and after that, I was kind of out of it when they started to create all sorts of weird rings like the Soul Ring and this and that. I'm like, okay. And they were, they were coming up with the most ridiculous uh, properties for any of the power rings, be it a green, yellow, red, you know, indigo, what have you. And so it kind of seemed to me like, they're kind of jumping the shark here a little bit. And to your point, I think maybe that's what they what happened here. Or maybe they were just like, you know, how can us mere mortals understand how deep 
and you know what properties these power rings have and what they can do but at the same time i do agree with you with, with kind of like you kind of should explain to us what what this is because it, you're really presenting it as one of the most powerful uh, weapons in the world that it can literally do everything and it pr could probably make coffee and, and french fries for you as well if you want it to but it's just like has so many properties and like, yeah i can see how that could be a a point of contention when it came to how himself yeah i agree i i agree with you when when it comes to to christopher maloney's um you know, uh, performance. It was very believable. I enjoyed it. And I think for the most part, it allowed us to get an idea, even folks who came in cold and had never seen anything Green Lantern. I think it does a good job in setting up who Hal Jordan is, as in he is very much Tom Cruise from Top Gun. And I have a feeling yes. that that's that somewhat, the later down the line, that might have influenced how Hal behaves. Because like, you know, the character that, that Tom plays in Top Gun, he is very much that fighter ace who's very full of arrogance and braggadocio and is all kind of, you know, I'm the I'm the guy kind of thing. You know, I get the girl and I flirt with her over the intercom and all this and telling her how drunk she got in front of her father while they're supposed to be simulating a flight because that's who Hal is. He very much is that kind of cowboy, kind of jock kind of guy. And I think... Though at the same time, once he gets the 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 ring from um, Abensur, he very much goes through the transformation of, <clears throat> or rather, that it's a very humbling moment for him. Of course, because heck, who wouldn't be humbled by being sent to space out like out of nowhere, meeting aliens, and being told that you're now potentially part of space cops, just like that. I mean, he he handles it really well because he always has you know, wise crack, even when it comes to the Owens, who, like you said, are these all powerful, well, very powerful beings anyway. And, uh, you know, he has a word for any, all of them. He's very anti-authority. And that's something, of course, that Sinestro really likes. And he points that out to him. But at the same time, unlike Sinestro, when they start going on missions, one, of course, he confirms how anti-authority he is by literally not obeying orders. And secondly, yeah, while Sinestro is so ruthless with everybody, we can see that Hal very much has compassion. You know, like when it comes to when he interrogates Labella, who I guess is supposed to be this kind of alien prostitute, if you will, and um, and and he kind of like in Sinestro is torturing her, and Hal kind of destroys whatever it is. I don't know if it's a drug or something that she has in her hands. It's a drug. Yeah, yeah. she's kind of moaning while taking it. So I'm like, I guess it's a drug. She's like ODing her on this drug. In order for her to to tell her, her tell him where where the where, where, where the bad guy is, where the henchman is, if you is if you will, Kush, I believe his name is, and um, how can't take it, and we can see that shows he's a really good guy at heart, and is, and is prepared to fight for what is right. So he very much has the makings of a hero. You can see the 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 traits of the hero right there, who does cannot bear injustice, and he wants to fight for what's right, and. And heck, he even gets uh, betrayed by by Boudica, who seems to be the only person who understands him and tries to talk to him. And it turns out, of course, that she's a, she's a villain too. And he ends up murdering her. But I mean, but that's just because because they were in their fight. Self defense, exactly. It was an altercation. But yeah, he always is in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think the Owens kind of place the blame on him because he's given a wide berth from the start, as in they're like. We don't trust humans. How could a human be a Green Lantern and the rest of the alien races who are Green Lanterns feel the same way? They're very speciesist, if you will, when it comes to, oh, to 100%. humans. They're like, we don't want humans. How can you trust humans? They're just, you know, blobby and gooey and then no good. And, and they uh, smell. Think, and they smell, that's right. And so I think that's why the, the Owens, if you will, are not particularly um, fans of him. And that's why they're, they're easy to jump to conclusions when it comes to how being, if you will, the turncoat. When you, I agree with you, when it's clear as, the, as, as one's eyes can see, that it's Sinestro all the time. So in the Owens show, they're not as wise as they claim to be, or rather they're not particularly good judges of character because... They, we we learned they've reprimanded Sinestro multiple times because of right. him being rather heavy-handed with the way he does his job. But they never think 
if he's so rough on the job, he actually might be a bad person. Never crosses yeah. their mind. Ne- never. He's killed a handful of um, people, and they're like, oh, we've had to reprimand you this. And then at the end of the movie, when he actually literally does kill a person on purpose, they're like, it wasn't him. He didn't do that. Like you, An hour ago, you just yelled at him for killing somebody from torturing him. And yet yeah. you find a dead body, and it couldn't be him. He wasn't in the room. So if he was in the room, it would have been, yep, that's him. Yeah, we're going to blame the, the new guy, aren't we? We're going to blame yes. the human. <laughs> because, And so maybe I think if you look at it that way, it could almost seem like the prejudices, even on alien worlds, are, thing, are a thing. That if you're different, you will get judged because of it and you'll get blamed for it. Even though you've got no blame at all. And you mentioned the fact of Sinestro killing Kanjaro. I was blown away by that because Kanjaro was quite a big villain for a long time right. in multiple comics, at least in the in the Golden Age. I mean, he yes. wasn't just fighting Green Lantern. I know he was also in quite a few fights with the Justice League. That's how big of a threat Kanjaro was. I mean, I remember an early issue of the Justice League where they fought him, and it, so it took the Justice League to take him down, which tells you he was quite a threat, but no Sinestro, boom, boom, dead. I'm like, you just killed Kanjaro. I don't believe this. But you know, it's, they're, very, they're very fast and loose with killing off bad guys. I was actually surprised Sinestro survived this movie. But uh, I think they wanted well, to make some more. You know what gets me? It's sort of like what they did with Bane and Batman. You're like, Bane was this big bad guy, breaks Batman's back. He's a super genius and blah, blah, blah. In the Batman movie, they just made him henchman. They're like, oh, he, mm-hmm. he works for somebody else. Oh, okay, that's a thing. So I feel like it's the same situation with him in this animated series or movie that they're like, well, we're just going to make him a henchman. He's a really, really strong henchman, except when he he's not. And he's super feared in the universe, except when apparently Sinestro is like, hey, I'm going to give you this thing. And oh, okay, no big deal. Like, it just, it seemed very um, plot convenient that the super bad guy was working with the super good guy who turns into be the, the big bad of the entire movie and you just it's it was so telegraphed that for the guardians of the universe they are some super oblivious individuals because you know how do they not see this coming and it just seemed almost very naive of them that one of their own could never turn evil or maybe it speaks to the fact that they're so secluded in their little room they don't look outside of what is going on outside their conference room, if you will, their little world. So they're so oblivious to everything that's going on around them. That's literally made them blind to what's mm-hmm. right in front of them. And as wise as they purport themselves to be, it could just be they're so unexamined because they have probably they haven't stepped out of, or haven't probably gotten off planet off Oa for Lord knows how long. And so they probably just go by what they know. And it probably makes them blind to to the obvious things. Um, I actually was was curious. I actually wanted to ask you this: when it came to the weapon that Kanjaro was using, is that supposed to be just a weapon all of itself, or is it literally a, a part of the yellow? Is it the yellow element? Is it part of the yellow lantern battery? It, it's just a, a, a normally it's just a weapon by itself, and that was why they were able to destroy it so easily otherwise mm. you know if it was part of the yellow core it should have impacted the green lanterns more than it did it, it's hard to say because a lot of times they use the color yellow in you know animated series because it's easy to show up on screen it doesn't necessarily always have to have the same power source would have been nice if it was a hundred percent at least then you could say it would show that he has the item they're looking for. This is all hearsay that he has the item that they're looking for. Mm. Cause that's what I was wondering about. Cause it was a little bit confusing. The fact that it was yellow. Cause at first I was like, is that like a shard from the yellow element? And so it, it's like, acts as like a divining rod. Like, I think that's kind of what it was. It was supposed to kind of lead you to where mm. the battery was or where the architects were. And those architects were creepy, man. But, um, yes. That maybe leads you to that planet where the the yellow battery is, and so it might be like kind of a divining rod or something to that, like a communicator, maybe. 
because I never really got the hang of exactly what that weapon was that Kanjaro had. It seemed to just give him power of some sort. But other than that, yeah, it was it was weird. Uh, I, I think it's one of these things. It's just a weapon in the universe. Mm. Other Green Lanterns knew what it was, knew how it worked. They knew what they it was tuned to a specific individual. So they had to have come across it, which again, they'd never bothered to explain. They had to have come across it in other adventures or misadventures because they're like, oh, only the wielder can use it. Well, how do you know? Just everybody knows this. It's just, it's a, it's a fact. It's common knowledge. <laughs> yeah, it's common knowledge. It's just like, you know, water's wet, sky's blue. It's common knowledge. <laughs> well, see, because that's why I'm like, just color it purple, maybe. So at least it doesn't look like he's got part of the thing, but never mind. But anyways, I guess then moving on, let's look at two of Hal's fellow lanterns, who are actually part of the good guys. We have, speaking of a stacked cast, we have Michael Madsen as Kilowog and John Larroquette as Tomar Ray. So what did you make of these two characters, which I'm sure are very familiar to you, having read probably multiple Green Lantern comics? They actually, the, the, the voice actors played the parts almost exactly what you would expect. I expect Kilowog be a gruffy kind of character, and he was. You know, granted, the person playing it has a gruffy voice, so it wasn't a huge stretch. At the same time, that's what you expect from that type of character. He is a big, I'm not going to say a big softy, but he's definitely, you know, more of on the tough on the outside, a little more down to earth on the inside, but he portrays, you know, uh, a badass. And it's funny to see him apologize to Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, at the end of the movie. He's like, I am so sorry. I did not mean to do this. And you could tell he was forced to apologize. And I liked how it made it, even though he didn't, you know, have a piece of paper in front of his hand, but it made it sound like it was rehearsed. Mm-hmm. And it made me chuckle a lot because he even like stands at attention, looks at, like at the wall and doesn't make eye contact and just gives this very like official apology that he had screwed up, but he wasn't trying to admit that he screwed up uh, with uh, John Larroquette's character. Same scenario. You, situation writing wise he played the character how in my brain that's how this character acts and talks granted yes we've seen both of these guys in other iterations on the different tv shows and movies and whatnot but in every case they play them very similarly across the board regardless of whom the voice actor is and it fits the character to a t it's very yep that's how i expected him to sound that's how i expected you know kilowog to sound and how i expected tomar to sound so i was like all right it wasn't a big, like, he opened his mouth and sounded like Krusty uh, the Clown or something crazy, like Scooby-Doo. Here comes Kilowog. Roro, we got Green Rangers to go kill. Like, no, it, it, you don't hear a Scooby-Doo voice come popping out of that head, and you're like, the fuck just happened? You know, even the squirrel, their, their version of Rocket Raccoon, same thing. It was, like, just very, all the voices for the cast that they had, all the voices fit perfectly. It would have been very out of place to have, like, Shaggy. As a Green Lantern, uh, as like, just, no, nope. No. <laughs> but no, you make a great point because I think, um, yes, uh, whoever was in charge of the, the casting department did a great job in choosing the right voices for the characters indeed. And I was so glad that Kilowog actually did say Pooza a couple of times because I'm always used to him doing that in the comics. I'm glad they stuck with that. Because I, I guess his, well, his nickname usually for how is Pooza, but he says that pretty much to everybody. But I can't. it's kind of like, I guess, if Wolverine didn't say Bob, you'd kind of be like, that's not Wolverine. So right. I kind of appreciate that Kilowog did the, did the Pooza thing. But yeah, he is very much the drill sergeant with, uh, with the good hearts. Because, of course, we start, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there is very much that... Um, kind of prejudice towards Hal because he's a human and Kilowog is no different at first when when he first meets Hal. He's like, oh, now I've got to kind of take care of this dude or he's going to be part of the core. And he does kind of give him, I guess, it's a bit of a tough love, I suppose. I mean, at first, maybe not so much. It's more tough than love because the fact is just he he does not like the guy like most, uh, like the rest of Kwame Tomar Ray is kind of the same way that kind of, as I mentioned before, giving the newbie a wide berth. But obviously, as the movie progresses, Hal saves Kilowog's life. Now, of course, changes things so much for Kilowog. I actually thought at one point that Kilowog was dead because it's at one point. I thought so too. Yeah, he, he's down the floor and he's bleeding. You're like, did they just kill Kilowog? No, they didn't. But it really seemed that way because I'm like, oh, 
he recovered pretty quickly from that because he seemed like out of it and seeing the beating he'd taken i was surprised he actually was alive because like when i kind of saw the blood i'm like oh no i guess they're killing everybody but no tomare and kilowog like uh, luckily make it out of this because if not I guess this probably would have been a one and done movie because everybody's dead. But Hal Jordan's the new Green Lantern. Hooray. But uh, it's only it, guy uh, left. Everybody else done. Well, exactly. I see, this would have been a good setup for uh, a mini series or anything else, just because, like you said, at the end, they have all these rings come crashing down on Oa. And now you've missing however many tens of thousands of Green Lanterns. So. That would have been a good jumping off point to have all the other, you know, um, uh, humans become lanterns amongst the other characters. Yeah. Well, it could have been you know, a great pilot, maybe even to Green Lantern, the animated series, for example. You know, if they thought that they, they, they could have worked as a backdoor pilot. I mean, I probably would have watched it because, as I said, I think this is a good introduction. Granted, it is the Cliff Notes introduction to how 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 Jordan becomes Green Lantern, but it gives you, you, you introduced to who the main characters are, you know, who your main villain is and you get the main concept. I mean, uh, granted, I can't erase my memory and try and watch this. If I've never seen it, I probably would have to sit like my sister down to watch it. Cause she knows nothing of Green Lantern. I mean, she's barely opened the comic book. It'd be interesting to see what her reaction is. Well, heck someday my niece and just have her sit down and watch him. Like, did you get all that? And just, it'd be an interesting experiment to to, to watch these with somebody who has, no knowledge of the comics or the characters or anything like that, but especially Kilowog and Tilmare, I think they're well, they're introduced well enough that you you get that after all their various adventures on this first movie, they're probably they're now fast friends with with Hal, and they're like his his right and left hand man, if you will. Now that Hal has kind of become the one to lead the Green Lantern, the Lanterns, I guess, or the Green Lanterns of Core, at least in the eyes of uh, of the Guardians of the Universe, because like yeah. We hated you, and now you're our man. So, okay, all right. Well, you switch pretty quickly there, Guardians, but fair enough. We are going back to these two. They were well-voiced, and I very much enjoyed them. And if we do get more um, Green Lantern movies, we'll be happy to see them come back. As I mentioned before, at least they're not dead. So, rounding off our characters, let's get to uh, the dark side of the table. We have actually one. We have two turncoats in this one. We have Trisha Helfer as Boudicca and Victor Garber as Sinestro. So what did you make of our villains, and were you surprised the Boudicca turned out to be a villain? I, I was a little surprised, actually, by the Boudicca twist. She seemed a little too friendly with Hal, so there was definitely like that something's... She, she's either the, a love interest, or something's going to happen to her, which does, technically. And when the big bad is finally revealed as Sinestro, which great voice actor, by the way, plays a perfect Sinestro. I, I do like him as Sinestro. And even you can't go Luka, wrong with Victor Garba. Yeah, no, not at all. Either one of them, actually. She's I've seen her on a crap ton of TV shows, and she's also a very good voice actress. And then both of them play their parts to a T. And he is Victor. To me, is a the perfect animated Sinestro in terms of voice, in terms of character. Uh, Yes, does it get a little hokey and cheesy? Sure. Does he push the envelope very early on and somehow nobody catches this? Yes. But I, they, they're trying to bring the audience up to speed sooner rather than later that something's a little amiss with Sinestro. The fact that he's torturing informants and he literally gave one a lobotomy. And all the Guardians are like, don't do that again, even though this is like the third one this week. You know, like maybe you might want to have him seek some therapy. He seems a little angry at everything all the time. The guy did not get enough hugs as his child. I don't know what. He didn't get a puppy for his birthday. I have no idea. But that would have been kind of an interesting avenue to explore. Yes, Sinestro was like, the green, you know, the, the guardians are slacking. There's chaos in the universe. Yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. But they just gloss over all of that even the fact that he was the informant that was able to provide the quote-unquote bad guy with the information as to where the yellow uh ore was to make this ring I, again i'm i don't understand why they didn't have a better security system if this was literally the only thing known to them that was could 
um, defeat the Green Lanterns, and they're like, man, we're just going to keep it in another dimension somewhere. Like, okay. And it just, have, again, no security, no recordings, nothing. Like, they, they don't explain how they knew that he was the bad guy that did it. They're just like, and he has it. How do you know? Reasons. Continue on. You're like, all right, fine, whatever. So, you know, when he finally does become the Yellow Lantern, it is a very traumatic transformation, which they seems a little odd considering how when he put the ring on, he's like, boop, I'm a Green Lantern. No big deal. He takes it off. He's like, all right, I'm not a Green Lantern. Sinestro puts on the yellow ring and all of a sudden it's just like he's had a massive coronary and he's going to die from it. And you're like, why? I don't understand. You know, and, and I know all our fans are like screaming, oh, it's because of this, it's because of this, it's because of that. And yes, I know that. But as DJ Nick has pointed out, to somebody who's never watched the Green Lanterns before or any animated thing or has any reference point to the Green Lanterns, it just seems very disjointed that using the yellow spectrum, which they don't bother to explain is the, the fear spectrum, is a very traumatic on the person, or can be, I should say, very traumatic to the person. And he doesn't even wield it in a way that strikes fear in the heart of individuals. They just went down to the very core um, defect of the Green Lanterns, and that is from way the hell back when in the Silver Age, where it was just the color yellow. And it wasn't fear, it wasn't until later on that they explained that yellow is fear and green is willpower, and that's why they're the opposites of each other. In this case, there's like, yellow. Yellow beats green. Why? Reasons. Okay, go. I, I did like how the Weaponeers explained to him that it has a defect, and he's like, well, what's the defect in this weapon, this per this quote-unquote perfect weapon? And they're like, the user, and then they fade off into whatever the hell dimension they're from. And you're like, that's fair. As with anything, most weapons, the defect is in the user, because if there's no user, there's no weapons. You know, you put, and here's an, you know, I'm just going to use this analogy, you put a gun on a table, it doesn't kill anybody it just sits there and it's now a paperweight put a gun in a person's hand you know havoc happens same thing with the sword same thing with you know any type of weapon-ish type of object i'm not specifying gun it's just that's the easiest analogy i can give you all hell a pencil could kill somebody if you've seen john wick so you know a library book's a weapon in the right hands literally and figuratively so you know anything can be as dangerous or not dangerous as it is, you know, as they want it to be. Do I, I think they, they could have explored it a little bit better? Sure, a hundred percent. Sinestro had this crazy yellow cannon of death and it's remote controlled. I don't know why it's remote controlled, but it is. The the yellow one is, but the green one isn't. I kind of assume they were based on the same premise. Why is one a super magic weapon and the other one is just a giant paperweight? Again, reasons and plot device. So I, I did get it. I don't know if about you, but I definitely laughed very hard when he broke out the giant golf club and the baseball bat to smash the yellow battery off into outer space. I, I definitely chuckled very hard because that was one of those things that when you see it, you're like, that's amazing. That's hysterical. What I didn't understand was how Hal was strong enough to literally move moons and Sinestro didn't catch on to this at all. It wasn't until it cast a shadow that he's like, holy shit, there's moons about to smash into me. Like, did, did you not feel gravity? Like, like, literally, these giant planets are pummeling, you know, flying at you as fast or as slow as whatever the case may be, but yeah, nope, none of that. We're not going to discuss that. We're just going to bocce ball the fucker to death. Like, that's fair. And, and FYI, there's no noise in space, so the giant explosions and all that crazy shit you wouldn't hear but i get it you know anybody who knows science will kind of do that but yeah it's one of those things that why did they blow up they're just inanimate planets reasons yeah i mean i guess if alien taught us anything is that nobody can hear you scream in space but i right. guess uh in this case not so much but yes you once again you raise a great point about the fact that uh how Jordan becomes incredibly powerful incredibly quickly is able to literally move planets. I mean, uh, it's like, uh, really, eat your heart out, Superman. It's like, wow, okay, this is what he can do. I'm impressed. I mean, I guess maybe 
maybe the intent of the writers to show you how apt how is at using the uh, the, the power of the green lantern ring the power ring and just he's just such a natural that he's able to move planets i mean for being a newbie i'm also very impressed i would you know i mean i think i think you know because you know us kind of knowing the comics any new green lantern it takes them a little time to figure out how the ring works i mean granted most people who have become green lanterns or even other lanterns it's obviously all about what you imagine the ring will create so it's usually very creative and imaginative people you know like how obviously clearly has a very vivid imagination and then of course you you have other folks down the line uh, you know john stewart who's an architect and so has that kind of creative mind and so on and so forth but yeah that was a little bit crazy a little bit quick i honestly did not see uh, budica's um uh, betrayal and i was i was pleasantly surprised at that because at first naive me was like oh there are actually some nice aliens they're not all horrible and there's actually somebody who's prepared to talk to how turns out it's kind of a honey trap in the sense that she's all like oh don't worry you know i know what it's like to be different and so on and you're one of us now and she's super sweet and kind like do you want to sit down and eat with me and so on and, and he's like oh you know i'm not very welcome at the other table and so on so it's very much like the kid on his first day at school meets somebody who's actually nice to them because he's the new kid who doesn't fit in. And she's like trying to, to help him out. And then, of course, I guess it should have been a bit of a red flag. She was kind of reading his mind and what have you, because she was literally headhunting him as a possible recruit for Sinestro, which is kind of at the end of the day what, what it all is. Because, you know, when we see Sinestro bringing back Kanjaro's body, and and so this is like you can be in on this if you want, and we see the Boudicca's part of it too. And she was—that's what she was literally doing. She was literally headhunting Al. And yeah, she meets her grisly end, and I was kind of surprised they killed her off because once again, the comics, she does quite a few things in the comics. She doesn't; she's not a throwaway character. I actually, you know, went went up to to research about this, and she figures quite heavily in Green Lantern lore and beyond. So I was kind of like, wow, okay, they really had her as a throwaway character in this one. And Sinestro, I mean, as you mentioned, you it's Victor Garber. So you know you're going to get a great voice performance, and he does it so well. He it is over the top because he, he literally is the mustache twirling villain because he has that beautiful, beautiful mustache. But um, I think what I thought was curious about Sinestro was he has that throwaway line that you mentioned about uh, Yellow being fear, where when he's still a Green Lantern, he's like, they have to fear us. And I'm like, oh, is this going to go somewhere to where we will actually learn that the Yellow Lanterns are fear? Nope. It was just kind of a throwaway line and maybe an Easter egg for the fans who knew about the spectrum when it comes to the various rings that they do represent emotions. But in this case... It was like it was a very much a throwaway line there. And Sinestro is very much, I think, your de facto kind of fascist. That's what he is at the end of the day, because he's very much about maintaining law and order through fear. And the Guardians know this. He gets the job done, but he has these very unorthodox methods, to say the least, to where he will literally murder people. Or like you said, give somebody, uh, you know, um, just just leave them kind of like a, a blobby mess. Because that's that's the way he feels that order is established, and he very much is, you know, secretly kind of waiting, you know, to to make his move, his power grab, and kind of over overthrow the guardians because he feels like they're old, they don't get it, they become soft. We need the strong man. So yeah, where have I seen this before? And he is very much that uh, that kind, I guess, that kind of prototype fascist villain that you get when it comes to even superheroes. What I thought was curious is when he gets, after he's had like the coronary moment, where he's like, ah, I'm turning yellow. And then there are other lanterns see him. Nobody comments on the fact that his costume is yellow. It's like, where'd you get the yeah, new no, threads, man? <laughs> yeah, it like, doesn't like, oh, no big deal. That's fine. Like, she, y'all realize he was green 20 minutes ago. Now he's bright yellow, you know, pea color, right? Yeah, that's fine. No big deal. We'll just, it's fine. We won't ask him about it. Yeah, it was kind of like, Sinestro, you're here. It's like, they didn't say, like, what happened to your, your uniform? Nothing. It's like, okay, it's it's bright yellow. You don't notice it? Whatever. I mean, unless there's, I don't know, unless they can't see the color, I don't know. But 
Uh, and I loved, yes, the remote control battery was kind of hilarious. And it was also like, it, it's also a very menacing weapon. And I was kind of hoping that we would get a battle of the batteries, if you were, where the two of them were shooting lasers at each other. But no, like you astutely said, the Green Lantern battery is a paperweight where people just go to charge their rings and I guess scan universes and that's it. Whereas he, whereas the Yellow Lanterns have the, the, the battery of death, which usually goes around shooting lasers at everybody, which is rather an unfair advantage, but you know, they're villains. So they don't, they don't, they don't play nice. But yeah, I was like, wow, okay, this is going to, how the heck are they going to beat this? Oh, I know how Jordan's going to use a, a, a baseball club and a baseball bat, sorry, in the, in the golf club and knock it out of existence. Okay, great. And I, I did also appreciate the battle between Sinestro and Hal, though it was a little bit fast. And Sinestro was subdued rather quickly after he literally murdered a million lanterns. And Hal's like, yeah, Jolly Green Giant, boom, they, they shoot lasers at each other, they use constructs. But after that, he's subdued pretty quickly for being Hal's you know, worst enemy. And you know that's kind of what we see of Sinestro. But at the same time, Victor did such a great job playing the character that, like you said, I really hope he returns to the role and we get to see more of what Sinestro can do and what other evil plans he has to hatch. But, you know, he is literally the character from the comics. When it came to some of the other characters that maybe might not have been as accurate, possibly, or were murdered, Sinestro is perfect. This is what I expect from Sinestro. And so I was, I was very happy, fun enough, Sinestro used to be one of my favorite villains from the DC universe because he was just like so evil and so malignant and so just hell bent on doing horrible things. And I believe he's actually switched sides multiple times when it comes to comics. He's actually kind of almost helped Hal in certain situations and other times like, no, I can't be good. I'm evil. But uh, no, I, I thought we, we had some formidable villains where they were dispatched a little bit easily because of the 10 minute rule. But that's 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 how these movies go. So anything else you'd like to add on our movie, Keith, before we get to ratings? No, no, you cracked me up a little bit with the, him jumping sides because it, it's well documented that it, he, he's very much out for his own interests. So if he has to help the Green Lanterns from time to time, then you know it is what it is. It's just like in Brightest Day, Darkest Night, the whole series where they invented 27 different colors of the spectrum or the Lantern cores. He, he was the anti-hero character in that whole run so yep it, nothing really surprises me when it comes to that character yeah i mean i guess maybe like you said it is the fact that he's just so out for himself he will maybe play the play both sides if it is in his interest and if it will uh, help him in his ultimate goal but yeah he has done a little bit kind of uh jumping back and forth but you know that's that's sinestro and that's why we love sinestro i suppose uh, yeah, no, I didn't really have anything else to add on that I thought it was a good introduction to the to Green Lantern, maybe even for newbies. Yes, once again, as I mentioned, it's the cliff notes, but uh, I think it pretty much gets you up to speed with the who's who and the main concepts. Granted, yes, there are things that are not explained, like remote control battery, how powerful are these rings, etc. So they didn't maybe dive into too much of the lore. And maybe they want to leave that open for future movies, you know, kind of like when Jeff Johns came in when it came to comics and he went on to explain this is why this, this and this and this, and this is why this happens and why the lanterns do this. At least we didn't get that very lame, should we say, first version of Green Lantern where his kryptonite, if you will, was wood. I'm glad we didn't get that. Yes. I, well, even that Green Lantern, his character... He was, um, oh, what's his, his name? Um, his ring was more based on magic. So I kind of understand why they, uh, what's his name? Alan Scott, I think it was. And his ring was more mystical in nature. Granted, yes, wood is the dumbest element to ever to be, you know, have a weakness to because almost everything on the planet Earth was made out of wood. The guy's literal weakness is a stick. You know, a dog can beat him up. Literally a dog with a big stick kick his ass. So it seemed kind of silly. And then they went from the wood to yellow. And then even people were like, yeah, but the, the sun's yellow. Like they, they theoretically couldn't fly around the earth because the yellow sun. Like, 
oh, we mean fear. Like, oh, okay. Like, it's, it's definitely one of these, like, they have to tweak it because as people kind of point the obvious stuff out to them, they're like, oh, yeah, that seems kind of stupid that a five-pound dog could kick his ass with a twig. Like, yeah, that's fair. Like a murderer do with a toothpick. It was kind of like, let's allow Daleks to be able to levitate because if we defeat them every time with stairs, it kind of right. is, it kind of is like, it, you know, it no longer becomes a formidable villain. So let's make Daleks fly to actually right. make let's them keep... more. Yeah, more give them lasers because doorknobs are hard to turn. <laughs> there, there is that too, exactly. You know, so I'm kind of glad that, you know, just kind of like when you said they explained it was fear over than just purely the color yellow because obviously i think comics became a little bit more sophisticated when it came to their storytelling that then you could get to the point of like explaining that it's not just you know show him a, a, you know a, a yellow crayon oh no you know so it's not gonna do that that's not the case but i'm glad they actually explained it more as the as the green lantern history progressed so yeah yeah all in all aside from you know the little flaws here and there i thought it was an enjoyable watch so, getting to ratings, then, what do you give uh, Green Lantern First Flight out of ten? I don't know, I've been thinking about this one for a while. It's it's a hard one. It's not. It's better than say just an average, but it's not the best they could make. So I'm I'm leaning in the realm of seven, just because again they they skip the very broad stroke of the characters and they just expect you to just kind of go with the flow and we don't need to explain things uh the cast i think really what saved it was the cast so i think about it more so I, i'm gonna have to give it a 7.5 just because the cast kind of kicked that little extra point to win the game for them so i mean in your mind in your mind would you have liked maybe more time with, of how on earth possibly with carol and that kind of stuff uh focus on one or the other so with sinestro being the big bad guy explain his motives or or flush it out a little bit more especially with the yellow i was gonna say kryptonite because that made me think of because it is their kryptonite a little bit more of their weaknesses just opposed to hand waving the guardians are like yellow is bad go find it You're like oh okay you, you know it, it's why is it yellow well just because yellow and like that doesn't make a lot of sense you know i get it, they're higher beings and they're trying to you know, explain it to the lesser people, but you know, you could probably do a better job at it. Or again, some of Sinestro's motives, like why is he, what has made him this jaded? Because obviously he'd started with the core and he has lived long enough to see himself become the villain of the core. Well, something had to have happened or transpired to twist him in that fashion that they could have focused on. So I, I think some of the the backstory could have been, you know, even if it was a flashback and it's because again, something happened to a loved one because the core didn't step in and you're like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Sort of like how the green lanterns are at fault that Krypton blew up because the lantern of that sector was doing something and he was busy that day. So that's why Krypton fell. And you're like, okay, that would explain why somebody from Krypton would hate the green lantern or want to change them, or whatever the case may be. So just a little more motivation other than they're doing a bad job. Like, uh, okay, we're not seven. You can, we're adults. You can, because based on that logic, everybody does a bad job at something. Hal crashes a test plane every other freaking minute in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Based on that logic, he should have been fired. But, you know, no, they kept giving him chances. So, again, I think some of the peripheral characters could have used a little flushing out like they did in uh, some of the, the movies and TV series. Then that's a great point because, you know, even though it's a pretty bad movie, at least in the Green Lantern film, there are consequences to the fact that Hal is literally costing Ferris Air billions and billions of dollars because of the fact that he keeps wrecking their prototypes. And so there are consequences in that case here. I mean, we spent, I guess, very little time on Earth for there to kind of really be a reckoning, if you will, because we kind of just see, you know, how get the ring, kind of fly back, play the whole, oh, what happened kind of thing, and then just kind of fly off the next day, or rather get confronted by Kilowog, Sinestro, and Tilmaray, and then taken off to, uh, to Oa. So there, we spend very, very little time on Earth 
kind of getting to, to grips with that all art is and will how have a job when you get to that <laughs> to earth i guess True. at this point i guess this point doesn't matter because like this is now his gig and he might never go back to earth and he might never go back to carol i mean we know in the comics that eventually of course he does go back and forth because earth is the sector that he patrols or is within the sector that he patrols so he's able to make a few breaks and then kind of go down and, and see carol but at this point it's like we don't know and we never see we never get to a a, a a shot back to what's going on at ferris air and is carol losing her mind over where the hell how is and uh, the rest of people they're like we lost a pilot there's nothing of that but i get it well, it was yeah go ahead well again he's only been gone for like 20 minutes apparently because there's no time and space like it just it's all in a vacuum that, that's also true so i guess time works if it's kind of like he's gone to narnia and he's like lived there for years but he comes back to so being there five minutes <laughs> exactly he has to be able to travel at the speed of light just to get back to earth everybody you know let's not forget about this fact that he's on a planet however many millions of light years away and if he were to just fly back to earth it'd be a thousand years so you know reasons yeah but yeah I mean, logically, by the time he gets there, Carol's dead and gone at that point. Right. So there's probably her great, 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 great granddaughter probably at that point running Ferris Air if there even is a Ferris Air at that point. But uh, yeah, that that logic works. I'm with you. I'm also going to give this a seven and a half out of ten. I did enjoy it. I mean, as I said, more for the breath of fresh air of getting to see Green Lantern again. I kind of miss this guy. And he's always kind of been I've always kind of been a fan of the character. And case in point, I'm actually wearing a Green Lantern t-shirt today, and that's actually a coincidence. I didn't do it on purpose. Uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, see, that's how much I love Green Lantern. But uh, no, I've always been a fan of the character, and so it was nice to kind of see this again. And i actually seen this a long time ago, and I'd completely forgotten the plot, and so it was nice to revisit it. So, yeah, I give it a 7.5 out of 10. So getting to those recommendations, Keith, did you have anything you'd like to recommend uh, from the Green Lantern universe? I would actually uh, recommend the Green Lantern, the animated series, the CGI one that came out a couple of years ago. While it's not perfect, it does flush out a lot more of the mythos with the other rings and even the characters themselves, their backstories with Kilowog and so on and so forth. Everybody that we kind of pointed out here, they do go into better detail on the show. So I think if you like this movie or Green Lantern in general, to definitely check this out. If you want to see more of the color spectrum, as we were talking about earlier, uh, the darkest day, or brightest day, darkest night, that was a very crazy series where they have white lantern rings and black lantern rings and everybody in the spectrum. You pick your superhero or supervillain and they had a ring like Lex was an orange lantern and Scarecrow was yellow. So a lot of the characters that you've you know, grown up with to love or hate became a lantern of some capacity and that was a crazy story that i wish they would adapt into an animated trilogy because honestly it's so over the top that you know yes you should definitely check that out or even uh sinestro wars that was another good series little mini series oh that that that's a fantastic one i i really really love that one well since you brought up the modern stuff i'm going to take it way back to the 50s oh, actually to 1959 oh. Back to uh, Showcase Issue 22 when it comes to comics, which is literally Hal Jordan's first appearance as the Green Lantern. So if you want to see how the comics do it, folks, you can check out that. And as I mentioned before, that is Showcase Issue 22 from DC Comics. And of course, you get to see uh, the character that now is known and loved as Hal Jordan making his first appearance, created, of course, by John Broom and Gil Kane. And it is, uh, you know, is, of course, a dated story. Folks might find a little bit kind of, yeah, this feels very kind of ninety, you know, late nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties. But it gives you an an idea of what they wanted to do and where they were going. And if you are kind of a nostalgic, you know, nostalgia person like myself, I think you have you'll you'll get some uh, some good laughs and actually some entertainment out of that one. And if you want to, you know, see something completely different and seeing the kind of times we're living in, I think it might be uh, the apt moment to do that. You might want to check out the series, the series of comics, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, which was done by oh, yes. uh, by Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams. It's a very, very unique uh, series of comic or comic book series where literally to give you the premise, 
uh, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, and Oliver Queen, Green Arrow, literally go on a road trip of America. And this is in the 70s. So it very much is social commentary on what is going on in the world at that point and how a man who's used to fighting aliens and how she's a street-level hero come to grips with what America is going through, their home country. And Ganthet, one of the Guardians, is along for the ride. So it makes for some interesting um, interactions. So it's very profound and it's very much off the beaten path compared to what you expect from superhero comics, especially back in the 70s. So I would strongly suggest you check that out. That's Green Lantern, Green Arrow. That's, of course, uh, Dennis o the late Dennis O'Neill and the late Neil Adams, both two geniuses in my mind when it came to, to the comic book world. And they're definitely very much missed to this day. So, of course, dear listeners, if you want to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email in either audio or written form to happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. You can show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. You can also follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, or at High Darkness Pod. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating and review. This helps the show grow, keeps the algorithm happy and stimulated, and allows us to bring out our little podcast to even more like-minded ears like yours. And a big thank you to those who have done that, and a future thank you to those who will. And Keith, when you're not here discussing crazy space adventures with Green Lantern, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Unfortunately, due to my contract with the CIA, I can no longer disclose this information. But if you wanted to go listen to something that I may or may not have been a part of, there's the Hour of Comic Books upon us with John. I was going to say John Seymour. There you go. I'm just I'm mashing names together here today with John Seymour and Jason Gurin. We uh, talk about, or I should say, they air quotes talk about comic books themselves and there may be a third person on there that may or may not be me i can either confirm nor deny uh they just recently did a review of giant size x-men well folks definitely check out and see if that third party is keith or is not keith and, if, and let us know and uh we'll be interested to, to see whether keith he'll neither confirm nor deny but We'd like to like to get your your thoughts on that one, but definitely check out the Hour of Comics is upon us. It's a very entertaining show for sure. Of course, uh, you know here we discuss superhero movies. There they discuss comic books, so they kind of you know working compet workers that you know as partner podcasts. I think. And when it comes to me, if you're fans of country music, uh, you can find myself hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes. We play the very best and nothing but the best of country music from Alabama to Zach Brown. For more information about that, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, if you're fans of those Oscar-winning movies, and we recently had, as of this podcast, the nominations for the 96th Academy Awards, which will be happening, of course, in March, Myself, Rachel Friend, and Zan Sprouse can be found on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we are reviewing uh, Best Picture winning movies in chronological order. We're almost there when it comes to being current, as in, in uh, next week, actually, we will be reviewing everything everywhere all at once. And then we'll also be revealing our plans as the show is not going to go away, going to go away. I'm sorry, folks, but we are going to be continuing. So uh, we'll tell you what our plans are as we wait for the next Best Picture. And last but certainly not least, uh, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone, where we're currently reviewing the latest MCU TV show, Echo. And we have reviewed other superhero TV shows. We have a great back catalogue of, of all the various shows that we have reviewed, Marvel, DC, and different. And also sometimes uh, Jesse Jackson has joined us on those. And so it's great talking to Jesse as well. And when it comes to this show, uh, folks, next time we'll be taking on Going back all the way to 1987 to visit that Paul Verhoeven film, Robocop. So, Keith, anything else you'd like to add, neither our next movie or in general, before we sign off? I, I apologize for Robocop, guys. This was me. So, the campy films that are coming out, y'all write in, blame me. I'm fine with that. I, I own the campy moviness. <laughs> Well, we love that you bring that to the podcast, Keith. And heck, I'm looking forward to, to dusting this one off. It's been a while since, uh, since I've seen this one, but uh, we'll see what I make of it now so many years later. But 
That said, of course, thanks as always for this show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Robocop. Until then, thank you so much for the privilege of your time. Stay super. Ciao, my people.